Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. I'm going to be reading Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, (coughs) Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, man. What does that say about me? That is my my favorite moment of any Christmas movie. (laughs) Chaos at Christmas, right? What is it about Christmas movies or whatever that there's always some moment of conflict, of chaos, of uh, just craziness that goes down? I, I... I think that maybe it's um, a way of laughing at stuff that is actually real in our lives and we don't know what to do about. (laughs) So we just laugh at it. Because the irony is, of course, of Christmas is a word that appears this time of year that we actually don't hear a lot of the rest of the year, but is everywhere, is the word peace. It shows up on greeting cards. It shows up, um, you know, in, in songs. We hear it in the malls and the radio or whatever. And this idea of peace or peace on earth. <clears throat> and yet, if we're honest, we're sort of cynical about that idea. I don't know when the last time you thought about peace on earth was. But if we do, maybe there's just something in us that goes, yeah, right. It certainly seems like out there in the world around us, on the earth, there's not a lot of peace. And maybe our skepticism of like, can that really happen? You know, whether it's the way NHL coaches are coaching their teams, whether it's teacher strikes or gun violence or whatever it is, we see not peace everywhere, almost in every facet of life and culture. And so maybe there's cynicism in us that's like, oh, peace on earth, not really. And maybe if we forget what we read uh, on the... um, on our homepage or we hear about in the radio, we think about our families. I know some of you, this time of year is a, is a family time. For some, it's very stressful and anxious to think about going to your parents' place or going to your relative's place or seeing that person or uh, uh, seeing that person that you used to be with and you're not with anymore and somehow, you, but your life is still tied to them. There's lots of conflict and chaos, unrest, and instability that we feel even associated with family and what the the Christmas dinner table is going to be like this year. That's the reality for so many of us. And even if you say, well, okay, we don't fight (laughs) at our family Christmas dinner, it still may be, even at this time, a place of unrest or difficulty or instability, and you know you're going to enter that, and you're already maybe preparing yourself for it or figuring out what you're going to do beforehand or after that to help you maybe just deal with what that's going to mean for you. Or maybe in inside, you know there's conflict, instability, unrest. On the inside, you don't feel okay. And so the places and spaces where you're going, everyone else may be having a great time, but that actually makes it worse for you because that sense inside you that all is not well. It's maybe why um, 
I think the cynicism that we have about being able to have peace on earth has sort of made this, mi- this whole mindfulness meditation trend such a big deal. Because <laughs> we just sort of think, well, there's no way peace is going to come out there. So somehow if I can have my sort of moment, my minute of mindfulness, or whatever, what do they call it at the kids' school? Mindful minute or whatever, mindful Mondays or whatever, right? Like somehow if I can just have that because I can't, there's no way peace on earth is going to happen out there around us. And so there's cynicism around it. But uh, what would it mean for you if after the food is done, after the Raptors finally get to play a Christmas Day game, after family, after all of that, after the presents, when you're back at school or you're back at work or you're back in the normal routine, that you have experienced something that wasn't just there for the moment, but actually is a peace that has remained with you. I'm, I don't know about you, but I want that. They, they say actually, um, for those dealing with mental health, that psychiatric visits actually go down in the week of Christmas because some of the support structures of family and things are there, but they spike to new heights right after. And so whether or not that's your particular situation, we can all attest to the fact of something that is, you know, the Christmas moment or the experience seems to be gone like that. What would it mean like for you and I to experience something that actually remains with us, that has deepened and changed us in this season? The good news is that peace on earth is not Hallmark's idea. It was God's idea. It was actually a promise God made thousands of years ago on what he intended to bring to his people, to the people he created. The the writers of the scriptures, when they used the word peace and the Hebrew understanding of the word peace was not, uh, like it was more than a feeling. What a feeling. I've told you before, right? Kurt says, how do you know if you're a young adult or younger? You don't know any of VJ's musical references. (laughs) Well, that's you're impoverished souls, okay? Now, it's more than a feeling. It's more than a state of mind. It's more than a state of being. That the, the Hebrew understanding of the word peace is actually, uh, you may have heard this word, is a salem or shalom. And the word shalom, according to the scriptures, was, was far beyond anything that you and I would conceive of what it means to, oh, I had peace for this moment or for this evening. The word shalom in the Hebrew understanding was this idea of having a right, good, healthy, loving relationship with God, with ourselves, and then with our fellow humankind, with each other, with our neighbor, within our families, within our workplaces, within our schools, within our government. That Shalom was this idea that somehow everything that was um, ripped apart or broken would somehow be healed and reintegrated so that life with God, life with ourselves, how we think and view ourselves and with each other had this integrated thing that then if you actually think the way we understand peace, oh, that's the result of Shalom. Right? Like, if you actually think about it, the reason we can't feel what we call peace is because we don't have shalom. There is disconnection with God. There is disconnection with ourselves. We are alienated from ourselves and from each other. And so God's promise from from thousands of years ago was that he was going to bring shalom and that this would have a radical impact on every part of life, that it truly would bring peace on earth. Now, the interesting thing is God's people... Their understanding of how that was going to happen was through king and government. 
there's a, there's a scene sort of early on in God's story with his people where they say, hey, we need a king. And he's, there, he's like, why do you need a king? Well, everybody else has a king. Um, that's, that's how, because their understanding was, hey, we have enemies. We have people that are trying to take our shalom. You know what I'm saying? So we need a king. We need a military leader. We need someone who will politically take what is going on with us and fight for us and will give us land because in an agrarian society where, where uh, prosperity was tied to the land you had and the cattle you had on that land or whatever, that was how you got it, through king, country, government, military, politics, power. And so that was what Israel understood. That's what's going to give us peace. If we have the right government, we have the right king. Now, we 21st century Westerners laugh. Oh, oh, you think the government's going to do that for you? Don't hold your breath. Like, that's not going to happen. You think politics is going to solve your problem? You think a king, a monarch, a leader, a CEO, a principal, whoever, that is not going to happen. We have, we have no faith in institutions. We are at the other end of the spectrum. We think, in fact, all of the king stuff in the scripture, we just, it's so foreign to us. We just think, that's like yesteryear, days gone by. That stuff doesn't work. Institutions fail us. Political leaders fail us. They manipulate us. They're the we don't, we're not interested in any of that. We're just going to, mm, we're just going to meditate, have some mindful moments, and somehow get some peace in here because I'm not waiting for that to happen. Well, God's plan for shalom was neither dependent on politics and military and systems of government, nor on foam mat and deep breathing from your diaphragm. God has a different plan for peace. And in the passage that Kayla read for us earlier, it begins to explain, and he says this, the prophet Isaiah, almost 3,000 years ago, writing in 700 BC, 700 years before the birth of Christ, he says this, to us a child is born and he will be called the prince of peace this is god's means of bringing shalom to you and i that he would send his son someone in the flesh actually placing himself into the middle of chaos conflict instability and unrest that in a sense, peace isn't something God was going to do to the world, just tweak some things, fix some things. That peace began with God himself coming into and placing him under the influence of all of the chaos, conflict, instability, and insecurity that is a part of our broken world. In fact, if you read the Christmas story, you will find all of that stuff got worse when Jesus came. Jesus himself became a victim of chaos, instability, unrest. He brought chaos into his mother's life as she tried to explain to people, even though she wasn't married, that she was pregnant, but it didn't happen through having sex with a man. That's chaos. Nobody can relate. It, uh, it stirred up, it began to even fracture potentially that the man she was betrothed to was going to leave her, already creating even more conflict. And then the political upheaval that comes where the king who finds out that there's a new king in town says, we're not going to have that, and goes and kills, has all of the babies to and under killed. More conflict, more chaos, more unrest actually begins to come up. It seems the complete opposite of what God was doing. And into this place of chaos and unrest and instability, God places himself. And this is the first thing we need to understand about peace and the shalom that God wants to bring, that peace 
is a person. It is not an idea or an ideal or a system of government. It is a person. To us, a child is given and he is called the Prince of Peace. I don't know about you, but when I experience or there's the threat of chaos, conflict, instability, unrest, I move the other direction. I don't want that. I carefully construct my life to avoid those things. Maybe your whole Christmas idea has been planning how you can minimize the contact you're going to have with people who will cause you conflict, chaos, unrest, and instability, right? Let's be honest. Nobody moves towards it. We want to move away from it. And then that's why it's so difficult when we actually find it in ourselves because we can't get away from ourselves. But so, so much of what we do in life is to medicate or deal with the fact that we don't know how to be in the middle of chaos, conflict, instability, and unrest. And yet, God's plan is to place himself into it to move towards it. That peace is a person who actually moved towards the chaos, conflict, instability, and unrest in our world. And made himself even... um, susceptible to being affected, radically affected by it. Peace is a person, flesh and blood, sent to us in the middle of what we are dealing with. But Isaiah goes on, peace isn't just a person. He says this, and the government, you know, that he will rule, and that government and rule will increase, and it will be a government and rule of peace that will never end. Now we're like, wait, wait, government. Like I thought this wasn't a government politics, whatever, but we immediately know this is a different kind of rule. It is a, it is a rule of peace. And here's the thing. Peace then is not this passive thing that you just wait for. Wait for it, wait for it. Ah, it is active. Peace is not the absence of something. It is an action. God himself, the whole idea of government and rule means peace is not only a person, but peace is bringing about peace with action. If we look at Jesus, we have his life where he was everywhere he went, he was bringing peace. And in fact, if you notice, notice the places that Jesus walked, it was into places that were rife with conflict. First of all, he he brought, he, he taught more about God in the home than in the religious places. So he was bringing shalom, bringing closeness to God into people's places, into their homes where they lived, at their dinner tables. God, Jesus bringing shalom, bringing God close. The way he talked about God in ways that people had never understood and said, God is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is forgiving. He is gracious. He is your helper. He is your friend. He's the one that actually welcomes the outcasts. His words were bringing about peace, helping them reshape their understanding of God. If shalom is about being in right relationship with God, Jesus showed them by the places he went saying, God would go here. Your home is not too dirty. That world was a world ruled by clean and unclean. And you were clean or unclean based on your religious stuff, the jobs you had, the ethnic background you had, what kind of wealth you had, whether you were sick. If you were sick or poor or from the wrong race or had a wrong job like a shepherd or you had to work with animals or whatever, you were unclean. And Jesus, just by virtue of the places he was willing to walk and go and talk about God things, was saying to them, I'm bringing you back into shalom with God. 
There is nothing in your life too offensive that God says, I'm not moving towards that mess. Right? You notice the, the places Jesus would go, so scandalous to the religious people saying, how can you eat and drink with people like this? God doesn't do that. And Jesus is like, think again. Not only where he went, but the words he used not only helped them understand who God is, but he used words to bring people together. He himself, through his life and through his words, was trying to bring peace between groups of people, fractured by religious walls, ethnic walls, socioeconomic walls, gender barriers. Jesus himself was bringing people back into shalom with each other by where he went, by what he did. And that's why Isaiah says this is a rule, it is a government. See, the, the kingdom of God or the rule of God is not about um, you know, thrones and powers of the, and, and politics and the way we understand it. He said the rule of God is a way of living. It is a new way of living, a new order. It is a rule. And, and Jesus began to model, here's what the Prince of Peace lives like and acts like. This actually brings people together. This is not the kind of kingdom that fractures and fragments and pushes you away from God high up there and pushes you away from people who are different from you or who are your enemies. No, the radical rule, the redefining of human life according to the kingdom of Jesus was to bring shalom and to bring them together. J. Alec Moyer in his commentary on Isaiah says, says it this way. The Prince of Peace is himself the whole man, perfectly integrated, rounded personality, at one with God and humankind, but also as a prince, these are the benefits he administers to his people. As the princely rule spreads, peace spreads. It is an empire indeed, but there's no imperialism. There is rule, but no exploitation. could say it this way, peace is a person who walks and talks. Peace is a person who walks and talks. This is how peace comes into your life and my life and into our world, then and now, as a person who goes places, who spreads peace with where he goes, how he lives, and what he speaks. This is what the season of Advent is, is to, to anticipate and say, Oh, come, Lord Jesus. When we sing that, come, Lord Jesus, come, we're saying we're inviting peace as a person into our world, into the conflict, chaos, instability, and unrest, knowing that even though we may be ashamed of it, he is not. Right? Some of us would be embarrassed to have people in our homes these days because of where we're at, because of what's going on. We, it, even in ourselves, we don't even want to be there, and the Prince of Peace says, oh, I'm, I'm interested in being in that place. Nothing pushes me away or turns me off from that. That peace is a person who walks and talks and comes into our lives as they are. Totally changing how we see the conflict, the chaos, and the instability. And so here's what this means for us in this time of year, in this season. Is that peace is a person who walks and talks with you. With you. The situations in your life that are causing conflict, chaos, instability, unrest are places into which Jesus is coming, who wants to be there, who actually says, I am someone who walks and talks with you. 
the places you are going, I am with you. The places where you are nervous to be at, the place you find yourself even as you sit alone at night, I am there. That peace is actually a person we can talk with about the conflict, chaos, instability, and unrest in our lives. One of the things I do as sort of a regular spiritual practice in my life is I meet with someone called a spiritual director, and I didn't really know what that was many years ago, but as I've had one over the last three years, really their, their goal is we meet once a month, and he just is trying to help me understand where is God at work in my life and help me be, my, open my ears more to understand what God might be saying and open my eyes more to see where God may be at work. And I was talking to him once about so the stress I was feeling in my life is, I, I love what I, what I get to do um, for my vocation as a pastor, but it, it, uh, at least for me, it comes with stress. It comes with a burden. It comes with a weight and heaviness. And there are times, whether it's like the weight of like, am I going to have anything to say on Sunday um, that's of any value to anyone? Or as people come into my office and they're looking for hope and life or grace or forgiveness or whatever and think, God, how, how can, I'm just a human being. I'm a sinner too. How can I help? So there's a weight sometimes at that. And he said to me, um, where is Jesus in your office? You know, because I was talking about, I was like, what? He's like, well, you know Jesus is with you. And I'm like, eh, yeah, no. And he's like, no, well, where is he? Where does he sit? I'm like, where does he sit? Like, I don't know. Like, he's like, well, you know he's there, right? Yeah. So close your eyes. Where is he? So I was picturing myself at my desk, and I have a, a couch on one wall and a chair on the other. And he's sort of right sitting on the one side of the couch. Some of you have been in that room before, and now you're like, what? That's freaky. <laughs> well, you knew Jesus was there, didn't you? Like, that's what he's saying to me. Where is it? I said, he's right there. I can see him. He's like, so? What's the look on his face? I said, oh, he, he's actually leaning forward. His eyes are big, and he's looking at me like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, so how does that change what you're doing. And it's like, that's my imagination, but it's not imaginary, right? My imagination is not engaged at all to understand, wait, Jesus is with me. He is a person who walks and talks. He is the one that gives me words to say if I have them. So when I'm stuck and I'm writing, I just turn to that scene and I go, what have you got? Because they're your people. I got nothing. He's the one sitting there when people come and sit in my office and we talk and we're crying and we're trying to figure out where is God at work. He's the one there and I say, you speak. It's your words that give life. My words are empty. He's the one there at the end of a week when I think, man, I just, this, this didn't work out the way I thought or I still leave with so many loose ends in the air. And he says, it's okay, I got this. There's no judgment on his face. There's no criticism on his face. He's not sitting there folding his arms going, not saying anything, but going, ah, well, I wouldn't if I were you. Oh, hmm. you know, that's what we think God is like. Realize, no, peace is a person who walks and talks, and it has actually brought a level of peace into my life, knowing that he is there. What does it mean for you to realize he is with you in the places, the thresholds you walk across that you think that you just came into without him, that he's somewhere out there waiting for you to sort it out? But it also means that you are a person of peace, who walks and talks. Do you realize that wherever you go, Jesus is in the room because Jesus is in you? What? The Apostle Paul said it. He said, this is the, this is the glorious hope we have in Jesus. 
Christ in us. He said, that's, that's the most beautiful thing, Christ in us. You are a person of peace who walks and talks. In the places you go, Christ is going because Christ is in you. And so you are flesh and blood, peace, bringing it into the places you are. About a year ago, I had a chance to go with a team, a few of you here, to the Middle East. And while we were there, I met a, a heart surgeon who is working at one of the most prestigious hospitals in the UAE. They have 11 helipads on the roof of the hospital, not for medevacs, but for visitors who bring their helicopters to visit their family when they're sick. Okay, this is the, these are the clients that he's servicing. He says, we have this private beach home, like in, in here. And he said, but it's a world apart from where I ever thought I'd be. I said, oh, where, where were you beforehand? He said, oh, I did a little bit of work with Samaritan's Purse. I said, oh, what, what did you do? He said, well, I was in Mosul. Mosul is ancient Nineveh. And it was the city that ISIS took when they were trying to take control of northern Iraq and Syria, that whole area. I said, oh, were you there before ISIS got there or after? He said, no, during. There was this call that came out as Samaritan's Purse was putting a hospital on the ground in the middle of the war zone in Mosul for uh, doctors. I said, oh, like, he has two kids and roughly my kid's age. I said, oh, my wife would kill me if I decided. She's, he's like, oh, my wife called me and told me, hey, you should do this. He's like, okay, I better, I better do that. So he says, we're going into this place. And we get to, on the ground, he said, first day, and a Navy SEAL is coming to do our, our preparation for it. And he said, after that conversation, I was ready to go home. Because he says, okay, situation, you're in a Jeep, four of you, you're going to the border to, to cross into Mosul. And the driver gets shot and killed. And you're riding shotgun, what do you do? He's like, what do I, no, I don't do anything. What do you mean, what do I do? I'm not, I'm a doctor. So they said, no, no, that's not the answer. What you do is you take your elbow and you drive it into the chest of the guy who got shot, hold the steering wheel with your other hand, take your hand and put it on his right leg that's probably still in the accelerator, push it down and drive your team out of the war zone. He's like, no, I'm not, not doing that. <laughs> then they did all these assessments of the people who had gone on the team and they said, hey, uh, we figured you're the one most best fit to ride shotgun in that scenario. So he said, literally, I was thinking, there's no way. Like, I'm a, I'm a heart surgeon. I don't do this. I'm not a, a fighter. Sure enough, he said, they, they get in, they get stopped at their checkpoint on the way, and he said, in three seconds, guys with, our, with their guns in their heads inside our Jeep screaming at us. And he said, I'm thinking, we're going to die. He's like, I see a soldier outside just beating down someone who's a civilian who's, like, gathering in this place. And he said, just, I was thinking, this is going to happen right now. He said, somehow the seas parted, we went through. And then for 14 days straight, 16 hours a day, they set up in this hospital doing surgery on civilians, Iraqi soldiers, and ISIS fighters who were coming in. And he said, my gown was moving from the bombs going off while I was doing surgery on these people. He said, I can't wait to go back. He, he didn't go in. I know that sounds crazy. But that was his job. He's not a freedom fighter. He's not a politician. He's not a peacekeeper who's going to go in and fix something. He's not a diplomat who's going to try to broker peace. He's not part of a black ops unit that's going to go and take out the head of ISIS. He's a doctor. And he went in that place bringing the peace of Jesus. What does it mean to see ourselves in the places where we go? And you can fill in the blank, I'm just a, mm. you are a person of peace. You are flesh and blood bringing the peace of Jesus as you walk and talk 
in the places you go. Friends, we need to begin to see the places we go that, quite frankly, we would rather avoid as places into which we are being sent with the flesh and blood peace of Jesus Christ who is in us, being able to bring people closer to God by our presence in their lives, being able to bring people back together with each other and back together in themselves just by our presence in their lives. Do not sell yourself short. You are walking, talking peace in the flesh with the Prince of Peace living inside you. But what does it mean also then to see our words as not just people who walk, but people who talk and bring peace? I was talking to the guy in our church last week about a conversation he had with an older sibling who called him who was uh, you know, coming apart, like feeling chaos, instability, unrest in their workplace and was very anxious about what it would mean to them. Now, this person couldn't, isn't going to march into their workplace with them or fix everything or deal with the systemic economic issues that are creating maybe a, a downturn in the economy that's going to lead to, uh, you know, layoffs. That, that they can't do that in that moment, in that phone call. But by the end of the conversation, that older sibling said to them, wow, there was, there was the, the anxiety had gone down the sense of perspective and hope and saying, it's going to be okay, and not just don't worry, it's going to be okay, but even relating their own sense of, I used to feel that way, and now I have experienced the Prince of Peace. I don't think they use those words, but that was the effect of their words on this person who was coming into that conversation full of chaos, conflict, instability, and unrest. What does it mean to use our words to bring peace? Everybody in this room can attest to the fact that sometimes our words have made the conflict worse. Or the facial expression, or the little snap, it's so easy to add to the unrest with our words. It's so hard to be people of peace who sometimes just say nothing before we say something deep breath. And so what does it mean to speak peace into this? I can't fix all of the stuff. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think that's where some of the uh, anxiety and stuff comes from is when we feel like we're supposed to fix it. And knowing that Jesus himself got placed into this world of chaos, conflict, instability, and unrest, and it got worse, but the Prince of Peace was there. So what does it mean for you and I to be people not only by our presence but by our words bring peace, that we use our words to bring people closer to God that may simply be saying, man, that is tough. I do not know how to fix that, but can I pray for you? What are you doing in that moment when you pray for people? You are connecting them to the God you know. You are bringing shalom in that moment, even for that moment. What does it mean to use words that heal, that bring people together, that give someone a counter perspective rather than just going, oh yeah, I can't believe he said that to you. What does it mean to use words to bring peace again, to restore, to bring shalom? What does it mean to use our words to say to someone, I love you. I can't fix what you're going through, but I'm with you in it. That brings shalom and the inside for them as peace is a person who walks and talks. Now, I know this is risky and costly. It costs you something, right? The ultimate way the scriptures say Jesus brought peace was to give up his life, was to die. He was a king who refused to power up and instead used whatever power and influence he had to lay down his life. And now, forever since that time, we associate humility with leadership. 
because Jesus changed what it meant to be powerful as a leader. So it is costly. It cost Jesus his life. It will cost you and I to choose to swallow words that will create more conflict and actually think and say, what does it mean to be a person of peace? It will cost us to risk our reputation if we say, can I pray for you? It will cost us in our families where some of you find this, you go back to your families and you revert back to the same role you've always had when you were 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 and nobody ever sees you other than that age. Oh, you're the youngest or you're the one or you're the one who left home or you're the black sheep. What does it mean to take a risk in that place? Even if you get scorned or rejected or ridiculed and say, who are you? It will cost you. But I promise you it's worth it, and here's why. It's one thing to have peace when the circumstances work towards it. It's another thing to have peace when nothing around you is peaceful. That is deep. That is rich. That remains long after Christmas is gone. And so I want you to do something as we close. Just close your eyes. We're going to do some of this not imaginary, but imagination thing. I want you to imagine a door. Um, it's a door that on the other side, there's chaos, conflict, instability, and unrest. It's very familiar to you. It may be the door of your school or your classroom that maybe even just right now or these days is not safe for you or there's conflict between people or it's unrest. Maybe it's the door of the place you teach. Maybe it's the elevator door at work. Maybe it's the door of your home. Maybe it's your mother-in-law's place. <laughs> it's family, it's whatever. What is that door? And you know what's on the other side of it. There's chaos, conflict, instability, unrest. Picture you, and then there you are. You're standing there before you open the door, before you knock, before you push the button, before you cross the threshold. Take a deep breath and see the Prince of Peace next to you. He is with you and he is in you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are our Prince of Peace. You're the Prince. You are peace personified. In the flesh, you are peace. You are what it means to bring people back to God, back to each other and back to ourselves as the ones we were created to be. In this moment now, we just embrace the fact that we, do, that we are surrounded by chaos and it's not gonna go away anytime soon. We long for that day that it does and it will one day for certain in the new creation where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more conflict, and we long for that day, but we know it's not this day. So until that day, every time we cross the threshold of that door, of that place, of that room, that space, God, let these words, peace is a person who walks and talks, let them go over and over and over in our minds as we breathe you and we say, he is with me and he is in me. God, all we can say is thank you, thank you, thank you that you came. Just even before we move on to what's next for us today or this week, we just want to take you in 
We want that peace to remain in us so deeply. And so we make ourselves aware that you are in this room too. Amen. I want to bless you with one more image as you leave this place. That door that you pictured, that threshold that you were going to walk across. Jesus is already there. He's already inside. He is the one saying, come in, come in. I'm here. I am preparing this place for peace. And so, would you just receive that in the places that you need to go, have to go, want to go, or will end up going even though you didn't know in this season ahead? Would you receive that?